now to God's Word. We've been moving through this uh, sermon series through Advent on the, the passage that Pete and Rini read for us from Isaiah chapter 9. So this morning we're thinking about this idea of Jesus as our Prince of Peace. Uh, so for that, we, we'll look at Colossians chapter 1, and I'm going to read verses 15 to 23, and that uh, will be on the screen behind me. The Supremacy of Christ. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel... This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So think about, think about your, your life and everything that goes on in it. Think about your world and everything that goes on in it, all the stresses all the complications, everything that we read in the news, everything happening in the busy month of December. You know, for those that, that have been having a rough month, maybe there's been uh, a job loss or a sickness or an illness, or maybe this is the first Christmas without someone that you love. Uh, and then think about the, the world and what's, what's going on. Think about the political uphe- upheaval. Think about the, the fighting. Think about natural disasters. Think about what people have to deal with on a daily basis all over the world. What is the one word that we would speak to our own hearts and to our neighbor? What's the one word we could speak that, that could make everything go away, that could bring all the calmness all the stillness, everything that we're seeking. That word is peace. That word is peace. May the peace of Jesus be yours. Wouldn't you just, wouldn't you just like to say that? Like when Jesus was out in the boat and he was battling the winds and the waves and the disciples got really scared and Jesus just got up there and said, Peace, peace, be still. And the storm passed. The storm was over. Everything, everything just stopped. 
what, what we're truly seeking and what this world needs is the peace of Christ. The peace of Christ. The peace of the, the Prince of Peace. Sort of this inner stillness and this wholeness that helps us go through anything. That, that reminds us the Prince of Peace is still on the throne. That God is still good and God is still ruling and reigning. And one day, one day in the new heavens and the new earth, every, every believer and the whole creation is going to know peace. Is going to know shalom. So, let me, let me remind you of what the Bible teaches about peace, because often we think about it in terms of there's war and there's peace. Uh, often we think about it in terms of, you know, well, there's no conflict. Well, things, have, things are peaceful around here. Like, kind of, um, you know, things aren't that bad. And, you know, we're not, we're not at negative five anymore. We're not totally ripping each other's heads off. We're just, we're just at zero now. But the way that the Bible talks about shalom in the Old Testament or Irene in the New Testament is wholeness, completeness, fullness of well-being, everything right in the world. That, that Christmas hymn, all will be well. All matter of things will be well. And it's, it's not like a negative five or a zero. It's like ten. Everything is right. It's how God intends things to be. So what, what would it look like for you and me to be, to have that peace? To have that wholeness? To not be struggling with uh, every insecurity, every doubt, every fear, everything that comes up against us, but... but just at peace, you know, content, content with, with our Savior. And now extend that to every single person, and that is, that's shalom. And Jesus, we, can, we can say that Jesus' entire mission was summed up by this idea, the Prince of Peace. I am the Prince of Peace. I'm the one that ends the battle between you and God. You, a fallen, broken human being and a perfect God. Jesus came to this earth to fulfill that idea from Isaiah and he will be called the Prince of Peace. And that's, that's what he did. That's what he accomplished. So this morning I want to show you, I want to show you it in two ways. First, we're going to think about the peace that Jesus brings between us and God, between us and our Creator. And then we're going to think about the peace that He brings between you and me, between human beings and what that looks like. So, let's, let's look closer at verses 15 to 20 because it makes some pretty remarkable claims Paul is, is writing this letter to the church and 15 to 20 years earlier, Jesus was here on this earth 
walking around in flesh and blood. And Paul is putting it all together and making this claim, this true claim, that Jesus was there in the beginning, that all things were created through him and for him, that he's actually the creator, that he's the the stamp or the image of God. He's the one that came to show us what God is actually like. And that everything that they saw, everything that we see, the forests, the mountains, the lakes, the, even the galaxies, that all of that was made by Jesus and through Jesus. You know, sometimes I'm out uh, hiking. Uh, you, know, you look across a ridge and you might see a mountain and, and I just think, Jesus made that. Jesus made that. The guy that walked around Israel 2,000 years ago created that. And sometimes I picture him like a sculptor just carving it out. And he made it so that I would delight in it, so that it would bring me pleasure and joy, so that I could enjoy it, and also so that it would point me to him, so that I believe in him, so that I trust in a creator. And this passage tells us that not only was it made through him, but verse 16 says that it was made for him. It was made for Jesus, that this, this created world, this entire galaxy, cosmos, this earth, all the beauty of it was made to glorify Jesus. It was made to serve him. Like when Jesus was coming into Jerusalem and people said, oh, tell your disciples to be quiet. Why are they singing? Why are they shouting? Why are they doing all that stuff? And Jesus said, if they don't sing, if they don't worship me, the rocks will cry out. The rocks know that Jesus is the creator. The rocks know that Jesus is God. And Psalm 19 tells us that. It's all over the Old Testament, this idea that the creation knows its creator. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies display the work of his hands. But you can also see right away that there's a problem. That there isn't isn't peace between us and God. There isn't shalom. And there's a reason for that. The reason is that we want to worship the creation. We want to worship ourselves and our own intellect and our own understanding. And our pride gets in the way. God made us to worship him and to know him and to glorify him. And he gave us this beautiful world so that even even if people don't have this book, this incredible book that explains the gospel and explains the love of the Father, even if they never had this, Romans 1 says they're without excuse. Because they could look at Mount Hood, they could look at the lakes, they could even look at the beauty of a city, and they could say, there's a creator behind this. Something good and true and beautiful made all this. You can look at the world, you can look at creation and know that there's a God. 
know that there's a creator. Even children know this. Children know this. What, what seven-year-old is an atheist? And yet, as we go through life, it's kind of beat out of us and persuaded out of us. And there's this, um, there's this attitude that's pretty pervasive, especially in the Northwest, that says, you know, I could meet God more and I could have a better experience for myself if I went hiking on a Sunday morning instead of in a church. I had a friend say that to me a few uh, weeks ago, and I kind of I get that because he's the parent of young children and I'm the parent of young children. And th- this whole idea of you know, being out in nature by yourself and enjoying that solitude and the fresh air and getting your heart rate up, and did I mention you're by yourself? You're away from your nagging children. I mean, that sounds incredible. But God didn't create us for that. God God called us to move from solitude to community. God called us to look at the creation and worship the creator. Not just worship, not worship the mountains or the trees or the lakes, but worship the God that made them. And that, that God that made them, it's not some nebulous force. It's not some generic higher power. It's Jesus. Jesus, the one that came at Christmas. Jesus left the comfort of heaven. And he came down to this broken world. He came here. Eugene Peterson, in the message, he said, God took on flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Moved into the neighborhood? Does he know this neighborhood? Has he been to this neighborhood? Has he seen this neighborhood? God tabernacled. God took on our flesh and our blood and moved into every neighborhood. And his spirit is moving and renewing every neighborhood, every square inch. That's what Christmas is about. Theologians call it the incarnation. God taking on flesh. And don't forget that that's what Christmas is about. It's not just about family and friends and time off of school and work. It's not just about food or football. It's about God coming in a body. God establishing his mission to be the Prince of Peace. Verse 20 says, He was making peace through his blood shed on the cross. That's why he did it. That's why he did it. He he came at Christmas so that he could shed his blood on Good Friday. There's the connection. And that's how he gets peace between us and God, his Father. That's how we're reconciled. And that's what explains some of these Interesting things that Jesus said, like, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. The Prince of Peace comes, and he does battle. He wages war against the evil of this world. And there's bloodshed, but it's his own blood. It's his own blood, because think about it. Think about the human story. The the first 
sons born in this world, Cain and Abel, they shed blood. And every time we shed blood, every time we hurt our neighbor, every time there's discord, that blood cries out to God. That blood cries out to God. But Hebrews 12.24 says that Jesus' blood speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. It speaks a better word. It speaks a final word. And that word is peace between us and God. All the times we've hurt each other, all the times that we've shed blood, they build up this debt. And we can't pay it because we're guilty. We're the ones that did it. Me, you, all of us, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that puts us in a debtor's court. And we're there, and we've got no defense. There's nothing we can do. And the judge is holy. He's perfect. He's not going to bend the rules or break the rules. And he reads out the verdict. Guilty. Guilty. But then he gets up out of his seat. He gets up out of the judgment seat. And he goes down, and he pays the bailiff so that we are set free. And he embraces us so that we're at peace again. So we have that peace that we're looking for. That peace that nothing else in the world can give us. That peace that's a foundation. You have a relationship with your creator, the one that made you. And he's the only one that can give you peace. Why? Because he created you. He didn't just make Mount Hood or the lakes. He didn't just make the beauty of this world. He made you. And he made you for a purpose. And that's to know him and glorify him. And not be at at enmity with him. Not be at war with him. But experience his peace and his wholeness and his shalom. That's what Jesus has done in the gospel. The blood shed on the cross. He's made peace between us and him. The war is over between sinful human beings and a perfect God. And so it's this invitation to all of us, prodigal sons and daughters, prideful churchgoers, to lay down our weapons and live out our identity as his children, as people that are at peace with our Father. He's made that peace. That's the first thing that he's done. That's verses 15 to 20 explain that. And verses 21 through 23 talk about this reconciliation that he's given us. Because he's also given us reconciliation between us and our neighbor. Between us and those around us. When Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment of the law? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. That that love of God that Jesus taught us about, that Jesus built the bridge for us, it has consequences. It has ramifications. It changes every part of our life. 
And we get, the, we get the gospel wrong if we think it's just a private thing between us and God. Well, isn't that nice that I get to go to heaven when I die? I'll still be a jerk to everybody around me. No, that's not the gospel. We show that we understand love of God by loving our neighbor. It's connected. We show that we understand the gospel by loving and serving our neighbor. We've been talking a lot about this in our Sunday school class on Galatians. I'm thankful for everyone in that class who's reminding me every week it's about love. It's about love, Pastor Pete. It's about love. Love of God, love our neighbor, love of neighbor. And, of course, we have to get our definition of love right. This agape love that Jesus taught us about, this love that's self-serving, that's self-sacrificing, this love that's selfless, this love that's never-ending, always and forever, this love that keeps going on and on. But that's what we get in the gospel for our neighbor, for people that are different than us, people that we don't understand, we can have peace with them. Paul says in verse 21, You who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body by his death. So no matter what we've done, no matter how we've harmed our neighbor, no matter how we've hurt the people around us, all of that has been washed away. Whether it was 30 years ago, Or last night, God has made peace through his blood. And so Paul is saying we have this new identity. We have this new identity, not primarily as a broken person, a sinner, somebody who's messing up all the time, but our identity is blameless, holy, forgiven, child of God, without blemish, free, free. That's our identity. That's what God, the only, whose opinion is the only one that matters, that's what he's speaking over us. The, the message puts it like this. Christ brought you over to God's side and put your lives together, whole and holy in his presence. Christ brought you over and made your life and put your lives together. What does that remind you of? Peace, shalom, wholeness, completeness. If we, if we understand the peace that we're getting from God our Father, then we extend that peace to other people. And a lot of you were wondering, wait a minute, why didn't we get to greet each other this morning? Why didn't we, we get to pass the peace? I did that on purpose. There's a plan. Cindy and I hatched a plan this morning. We're going to do it after the message. Because, you know, a lot of times we, uh, we, we greet each other, we say hello, but there's something beautiful, and I appreciate it when people say to me, the peace of Christ. That's really what we're doing. Some churches every week, they put it after the confession and the assurance, because when you know you, you're at peace with God, you give that peace to other people. So that's what we're going to do this morning at the end of our message.
But it's not even just about the people in this church. It's not just the church. It's not just a holy huddle. It goes out to everyone in all of our lives. The Bible tells us and challenges us with these words. Romans 12, 18, as far as it is possible with you, be what? Be at peace with all people. So that compels us to go and make peace with our brother and sister, make peace with our neighbor, share the shalom that God's given us, share that wholeness. And there's this feeling and this sense, even at, you know, especially at Christmas, that, uh, that it's a time for reconciliation. It's a time for forgiveness. It's a time for people to set the past aside and come together and be reconciled. God speaks to us to be a reconciler, to be a peacemaker. Haley Bodine wrote this about you know, making peace at Christmas. She said, when Jesus came, he didn't stop at forgiveness. He brought us into full relationship. He brought us home. His life, death, and resurrection acquitted us of our treason, paid the price for our sins, and then in his great compassion, God stepped victoriously off the judgment seat and invited us to be his children. To be his children, to live as his reconciled children together with each other. Don't you think it makes God sad to see his children fighting? Don't you think that it makes him sad to see them not reconciled, divided, at each other's throats? Um, You know, God might be thinking, you know what, all these people, all of my children, the people that I've saved, they're going to be in heaven together for a really long time, and I wonder if they'll get along there. I wonder if they'll be reconciled. I know for me, and, you know, I'm not even a very good dad. I know for me, it breaks my heart to see my kids fighting. You know, if Stella's like, if Silas is like wrestling with Stella or getting in her face or doing all this stuff to her, bugging her, I mean, he's going to get payback next Christmas. But it breaks your heart to see your kids fighting, to not be reconciled. And it must bring God such joy to see us at peace with each other and to see us getting along, to us extending that wholeness and that peace and having right relationships. So this this year, this Christmas, we have a wonderful invitation from God, and that's to live at peace with him, with others, to live under the reign of the Prince of Peace, the reign that is coming. That's wholeness and completeness and fullness and peace. To, to walk in the ways of the Prince of Peace. To live as he lived. To live in peace with God and each other. That is our calling and our identity. Let's pray. Prince of Peace, rule in our hearts, rule in our minds, rule in our relationships, that we might reflect your shalom to a world so in need of it. 
God, may we not seek peace or identity or meaning in anything else but you, our Creator, our Father, the one that loves us, the one that has given his life for us. May we in turn surrender our life to you. And may you be our King of peace, our Prince of peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our hymn of response is... uh,